Let's hear the sermon text for this morning from Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had made the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made you two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own in interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance." But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word, and you may be seated. Hope you all are doing well. Um, We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. I'm going to uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So... Um, If you have a Bible, uh, Cameron just read the text for us. You can go ahead and open it up uh, to Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Um, Let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for your word. We know that um, it is a source for us for strength. It is a source for us to know Christ more deeply, that these are not just moral lessons. These are not just um, things that we can read so Life can improve. Instead, uh, these are the words that tell us how much you love us and show for us what Christ has done in response to our willing disobedience and our, from the outset, being enemies of yours. And so, this morning, we pray that as we open your word, we would realize that these are life-giving words to us and that... um, for my own heart and all of us, that we would sit ourselves under the authority of your scriptures and the things that it says to us, whatever it says, because it's from God, that we would submit ourselves to it and deeply, deeply strive to live in obedience to it out of amazing love and worship for Christ. God, be with us now. Please, Spirit, fill me 
come now and, and, and superintend and guide every word that I say. And Christ, would you please grant salvation this morning? If there's anyone here that does not know you as Savior and Lord, would you regenerate their heart? Would you cause them to be born again spiritually? Help me preach the gospel faithfully so they know what it means to be outside of Christ and how they can be saved forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Matthew. Um, for those of you that are here for the very first time, I, I always try to, and sometimes unsuccessfully and sometimes successfully, give a quick two-minute review. So I'm going to shoot for that again. Um, the book of Matthew is written to primarily people who are Jewish. And so we've entitled this study through the book of Matthew Messiah because those people who are Jewish were well acquainted with the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis up to Malachi. And they understood that those who had been living um, several thousand years before Christ had come who had written that they had been writing about a coming king, a coming Messiah, someone who was going to be the Savior. And so as they wrote in the Old Testament, Matthew is writing this. And as he's looking back to the Old Testament, he's saying, all of you who are Jewish, who are Israelites, who are well acquainted with the scriptures, remember there's someone who's going to come and be the Savior. This Jesus that's present and alive, that has just lived and died for us on the cross and rose three days later, that, that man Christ is the Messiah. And so he's, he's constantly writing these, this, this book and um, trying to point them to Jesus. And as he's doing that, he's, he's all over and over and over referring to Old Testament scriptures to help them see how this man Jesus fulfilled those prophecies from the Old Testament. And so as we've been studying through the book of Matthew, this big book we've called Messiah, um, we've broken it down into small chunks. And so what we're doing right now is looking at chapters 24 and 25. 24 and 25 um, is the sixth teaching discourse. Jesus has done rather large teaching discourses throughout this book. Um, and this is the six out of six. And this particular section, what Jesus is wanting to do is talk about the big theological $10 seminary word is called eschatology, and that just means the end times. Um, so he's looking to the end, and he's talking about what's going to happen. The, the impetus or the catalyst or the reason why this teaching discourse started starts right there in 24, verse 3. You can see in verse 3, the disciples come up to him um, because Jesus had just, just got through saying, see this temple? I'm going to destroy it. It's all done. I'm going to knock it all over. And he says it right there in verse 38 of 23. He says, see your house is left to you desolate. So the disciples, were, the, the, it's not desolate. They're all standing, and they're all kind of standing there like they're lost, and they're saying, uh, Jesus, just one thing. I mean, this seems kind of small, but you're saying the temple's desolate, but um, it's not. <laughs> it's still standing, and so we want to know what's going on. And so in verse 3 of, verse, of chapter 24, it says, uh, Tell us then when these things will be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the end of age. So they're basically saying, can you tell us when the temple's going to be destroyed? And can you tell us when this second coming of yours is going to happen? We think they're going to happen at the same time. And so what's going on here in 24 and 25 is Jesus, in chapters 24 and 25, Jesus is trying to help them see those two events, the destruction of the temple, which happens actually in history in AD 70, and the second coming of Jesus, which has not happened yet even in our lifetime in 2013. Jesus is trying to help them see that these are two separate events, not the same event, and that um, 
basically for 24 and 25, what he's going to do for the first half of the little section in, in the beginning of 24 is give them the actual sequence, the, the time frame of what it's going to be like um, in the end times and what it's going to look like and how it's going to go down. And as he does that little time frame for them, right there at 24, chapter 24, verse 42, he does a little switch. And so he ends the time frame of what it's going to look like. And then he, thus he begins these parables at 24, 42. And the parables are all trying to help everybody that's a Christian in 2,000 years ago and even the last 2,000 years say, okay, if this is the time frame of the way the end times are going to go down, the parables are right there at 2442 are trying to help us say, okay, in light of that, this is how then we're supposed to as Christians live in response to the way things are going to happen. And so that's where we are right now. We're looking at those parables. We've seen the way it's all going to happen. We've, we've studied the time frame, the way it's going to happen. And now Um, We've been looking at these parables and these parables have been teaching us based on the way it's going to happen. There's there's a certain expectation of God on Christians for the way that you're supposed to live. And so we looked at these particular parables. You can see uh, one was at 42 through 44, one little small one. Another one was at 45 through 51. That was the second parable. Last week, we looked at chapter 25, um, 1 through 13, and that was the parable of the 10 virgins, um, where there was, again, um, another expectation that says Christ could be delayed. That's basically in verse 5. It says... If the bridegroom is delayed, then, and so uh, you need to be prepared. And so some had oil and some didn't. And those who didn't have oil, you know, to keep their light burning, burning, burning. I, I refrained myself last week to sing, I got oil in my lamp. I, I thought y'all would be proud, but no one said anything. Um, but anyway, uh, so the whole idea last week is that you've got these, you've got these uh, 10 bridesmaids, 10 virgins, eagerly expect, uh, waiting for this, but five were prepared and five weren't. Interestingly enough, in this, that parable in verses 1 through 13, um, it, you'll notice that what happens is <clears throat> whenever he's delayed in verse 5, it says the bridegroom is delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And so uh, we just have an imagery of, in this parable of, well, he's delayed, so all we got to do is just kind of lay down here, somebody get me a pillow, and until he gets back, we're just going to take a little nap. And so what happens, um, there's, there's no... There's no reason you shouldn't feel like verse 14, because there's quite an an abrupt transition to 14. Jesus wants to correct, because, I mean, parables are just parables, right? They're not meant to necessarily give us uh, an exclusive, detailed outline of the way it's supposed to happen. Parables are just stories to illustrate a point. And that particular point for verses 1 through 13 was, he might be delayed. But if we just had verses 1 through 13, then we could read that and say, well, if he's delayed, I can just take a nap. I don't have to do anything. I can just take a big nap. And so what he's doing is he he's, has this next parable at verse 14 just to correct any misunderstandings that um, since he's going to be delayed, we're not supposed to just take a nap and do nothing. Instead, as, as we read here already, <clears throat> there is an absolute, absolute expectation of performance. An expectation of performance for every single Christian. Now, let's, let's stop and let's correct a couple things because you might have heard this before. Um, as you've heard this, I'm sure if you've been in church at any time, you've heard this before. Um, there's a couple things that this, this text is not about. Number one, it's not just about uh, simply th- saying, well, God's given you a talent. Like, you can play the acoustic guitar, so you should be really, really good then. You should strive your hardest and just play your heart out with your acoustic guitar because he's given you talents. Multiply that talent. It's not some kind of... Uh, 
simple little parable to say, whatever talent the Lord's given you, um, as a matter of fact, this word talent is really about money, not how well you play the acoustic guitar. The second thing that this story is not really about, um, you certainly can make an application, but it's not really about financial planning. Um, so if you are a financial planner, don't use this as your proof text to say, God wants you to multiply your, your talents into double. He wants you to you know, quadruple your portfolio. Th- that's not what this is about either. This is a, 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 a sermon or a, a teaching set in eschatological uh, teaching where he's saying there's an end time coming and I don't want you to just sleep. There's an expectation of absolute performance. I have, God saying this, given you um, an, an array of gifts according to what I think you can handle. And these gifts and these resource, resources may be a better thing. Maybe you can play the acoustic guitar, but he's also given you money and he's also given you the gospel and he's also given you a whole array of things. And he's saying, based on the fact that I've given you all these things and based on what Christ has done for you in the gospel, there's an absolute expectation that before Christ comes back, we are to be serious about doing things for him. So um, let me, let me uh, before I start, address a couple things that I know you might say. You, you might say to me, Fudd, this sermon sounds different than what you usually preach. Um, and when I get through it at the very end, you're going to say, this one was a little bit different. Usually, you're not so law. And so I, I want to say, okay, I, I understand, but let's just understand where we are here. Um, the gospel is that Christ has come and died for us. Every single one of us deserved this, but he came willingly He did not have to and died for us. And if we put our trust in what he's done for us, we can receive complete forgiveness. And um, whenever we receive complete forgiveness, we have now perfect right standing with God. And if we have perfect right standing with God, then we are to live in response to that. So let's just make sure that we understand this parable, because as we read at the very end, there's this judgment that comes upon this wicked servant, you know, little one, one talent guy. There's this judgment that comes on him, on him. And so when we see this judgment, we can immediately think, oh, that's the, that's the final judgment of saved or not saved. Either he's saved or not saved, and one's cast to hell, because he even talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so this judgment that's being talked about in this particular parable is not on, like, the final judgment. Instead, this particular judgment is based on looking at Christians and saying, just Christians, and saying, you're going to be judged on the use or the misuse of your talents and resources. So this is not a salvific judgment. So that's why, as we're looking at this, you're going to hear me try to say, you need to do, you need to do, you need to do. And you're like, Fud, wait a second. You're not do guy. You're always what Christ has done for you. And so I know that. I know that that's what I say. We want to, we want to preach the gospel here every week so that we remember that our right standing with Jesus has nothing to do with what we've been done. But this parable um, is driving home for us that, that second part, that James 2, like, don't freak out kind of thing where, okay, since... We have been saved. There's an absolute expectation that we are to do stuff. And if we do not do stuff, the faith that we might have could be dead or non-existent. And so what we're going to look at today is that that second side of this where there's an expectation of Christ that we need to be doing stuff. And as I said, everything that you hear me about do language, I am basing it all on, first of all, what Christ has done. I'm not erasing that. I'm not negating that. Without that, there is no do language. So... Um, the big question or the big idea of the day is, are you serving Christ fully with what he has given you? Um, 
So like the last week when the parable was basically to real Christians and nominal Christians, it didn't deal with the irreligious. This is the same. This is the same. But this, this parable goes farther than last week because I said last week it just says they, you know, he delayed and they all fell asleep. They all took a big nap. But here, um, what's certain from this text is this. This is, this is what's most certain. Maintaining, as a Christian, maintaining the status quo it's absolutely not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Christ has given you probably far more than you're aware in regard to talents and resources. And maintaining the status quo, just getting by, just kind of watching and waiting and not working until he comes is absolutely unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable. So if you heard that, you can take a nap now, like the, like the ten bridesmaids. Um, but th- I have a lot more to say. So if you would, stay awake. Um, maybe you'll get some more stuff. Um, now, uh, we must remember, and I know I've said this, kind of alluded to this. We must remember what kind of frame of mind Jesus is in in this particular moment. Um, this isn't, you know, in the middle of his three-year uh, ministry. These are literally the last hours before his death. And so while he was always serious, there has to be a, a very serious tone that Jesus is having as he's finishing up this final teaching, the six of six discourses, as he knows within hours he's going to be sweating blood and, and a, um, out, of his, out of his tears and out of his head, sweating blood because he knows he's about to go to a cross. And so he knows... Uh, that these are my final words I have to say to my disciples. There's a, there's a very serious tone he has as he turns um, this basically final teaching before he goes to the cross. Um, and we'll see the, the very end from next week. The, 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 the parable next week at verse 31 is very much tied to the parable this week. So you can see in verse 14 it says, For it will be like a man's going. This it that's referring to is the kingdom of heaven. Um, right there in verse 1, he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be. So it's just referring back to the kingdom of heaven. For it will be like a man's going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So let me, uh, let me tell you basically how I'm going to set this up. Uh, I'm going to give us reasons why we should work hard. That's, there's, there's reasons in this text, and I think that's what this parable is for, on why we should work hard. And so I'm going to give us... I don't even want to tell you the number because I feel like you'll freak out. But there, there, there's a good bit of, of reasons why, why we work. Now remember, when I, I don't mean work like, you know, you're punching the clock 40 hours a day for the man. And I don't mean working for your salvation. I mean, based on the gospel of what Christ has done, there's an expectation now for us that in response and delightful worship... It's also works. We can say, you can even say, why do we work worshipfully if you want to, if you just need to make sure it's there. But this is why we work. There's, there are reasons in this particular text of why it's absolutely necessary that maintaining status quo is not acceptable and why we work. So um, they're all going to be right here. We're going we're to go through them decently fast because, like I said, there's quite a bit. Um, verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So we'll stop right there. Uh, the, you can see that he uses the, the language of servants. He also, in verse 19, and now after a long time, the master. So we, he, we see here there's a relationship that Jesus is choosing to use. Um, master, servant. That word master, by the way, every time you see here uh, in this parable, the word master, it's still the Greek word kurios, which is Lord. Um, and so he's still wanting to remind them that he's their Lord. Uh, so we also, in just another text that, that drives this home, 
in Titus chapter 2, it says that Christ gave himself to, to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. And so Christ, if we're in Christ, he owns us. He possesses us. We're, we're not our own. Like, we are his. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. And so one of the first reasons why we work hard is because he's our master. We're the servant. We're not, we're not equal with him. He's not our brother where we can kind of mouth off to him if we don't like what he tells us to do, even if he's the older brother. He's our master, and we're the servant. Now, there's more to the relationship that we're going to get to. It's not just a, a servant-master relationship because that doesn't seem very appealing at, at, on the first surface. But the first reason is that um, we work hard because he's our master and we're the servant and we are supposed to do what the master says. Now, I'm going to get into the depths of the beautiful relationship that that means. But first and foremost, that's the first reason why we work hard. Now, the second one is this. It's right there in the exact same verse. It says, for a, a man will be going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Um, and keep going. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each, here it is, according to his ability. According to his ability. Just a little side note. If you don't feel like you're gifted, if you feel like everybody in the world has a whole lot more resources and money and talent and, and ability to comprehend things, um, it's according to your ability. So you don't need to freak out and say, how come I don't have more? The sovereign God that loves you knows what he wanted to give you and gave you exactly what he wants you to give you. Therefore, we don't freak out and compare ourselves to everybody else that's better. There's always going to be somebody better, right? There's always... Unless you're MJ, there's always going to be somebody better at you than basketball. And it's the same thing in in, in your life. There's always going to be somebody that has more whatever. So therefore, you don't freak out and say, why don't I have it? Instead, you say, the sovereign God knows me better than I know myself. And he's given me exactly what he wants. Therefore, instead of my entire life trying to figure out why I don't have, instead I'm supposed to be faithful with what's been entrusted to me. So here's the second, um, here's the second, and I just want to put this in, in uh, perspective for you when we're talking about the reason why we work hard. This word talent uh, is actually a monetary unit, a, a, a way to measure money, um, and more than likely a talent was 20 years of income, 20 years of income. So I tried to do a little bit of math, and sometimes I struggle at math because, you know, math can be hard whenever you read a lot and don't do numbers. Um, I've messed those up. You've know, seen those before. But let's just say um, that you make uh, $40,000 a year. Let's just say you make $40,000 a year. Um, over 10 years, I, I probably already messed this up, but uh, in my, in, and when I did it and when, it, and when I was trying to figure it out, it was, it was working. So... Um, a year over 20 years means that you've made $800,000, okay? $800,000. That's one talent. So he gave somebody five, two, and one. He gave the one $800,000. That's the equivalent. He gave this one 20 years wages. He gave someone else uh, 1.6 million. That's the two talent. And the five talents, he gave them $4 million, all right? So... Whenever we think about, I haven't been given much, what Christ is trying to say is, you've been given way more than you think. You've been given way more than you think. When he's, he's using these comparisons of talents as 20 years wages, the one who is not faithful with just the one, 
in terms of monetary measurement, it was actually a lot. So the second reason why we work hard is because you have been entrusted with much. You might feel like you have nothing. Like you have no cash. You just eat ramen noodles. You have a Yugo. Y'all know what Yugos are? I just took it back to the 80s. Like you have, you have nothing. I, don't have, I, can't even do, I can't even draw a straight line. Well, Christ has told us that you've actually been entrusted with much. So the reason why you work hard with what you've been given is because you've been entrusted with far more than you think you have. Far more. You've been trusted with much. You've been trusted with a talent or maybe multiple talents. But a lot has been given to you. And you can see here their responses um, after they've been given these things, each according to their ability. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once. He went at once. I mean, he did not spare any time. Let, let me read a quote to you also uh, on what talents are. Um, J.C. Ryle J.C. Ryle says this about talents. They're anything and everything. So J.C. Ryle says, anything whereby we may glorify God is a talent. Our gifts, our influence, our money, our knowledge, our health, our strength, our time, our senses, our reason, our intellect, our memory, our affections, our privileges as members of Christ's church, our advantages as possessors of the Bible, all, all are talents. That's why... You have been entrusted with much. That's, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, this is a lot of stuff. You have been entrusted with so much more than you actually thought. So the reason why you work hard is because you have been entrusted with a lot. God entrusts to us. Therefore, just like this uh, five-talent servant, we must act. We must act. He says that once he goes, we don't, we don't put off hard work just because it's hard. Instead, we jump headlong into it. It says that once he traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. In verse 18, but he who had dug, he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He dug a hole. I mean, this is literally the money in the mattress. He just stuck it in the mattress and did nothing. So, verse 19, now after a long time, that, that just feels like verse 5, that the, he was delayed after a long time. He, he has not come in our lifetime. He could come tomorrow, but there is, in a sense, where we must li- realize that there might be a delay, and since there might be a delay, we need to be doing something. We just don't say, well, he could come back tomorrow, so whatever. I don't have to do anything. No, no. We have to we have to get going because he could be delayed. We have no idea. We, we, we do everything we can like he could be delayed, even though it could be imminently. So he tells us to go, or he tells us to work, and it says, uh, verse 18, but he who had dug, he, he put his money in the ground and he did nothing. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and here it is, settled accounts with them. Now, in the settled account language, the, the first thing, at least for me and maybe for you, is that we, we shift over to an employer-employee relationship, okay? Um, I worked 20 hours a week. You p- give me my money because I need to go buy a CD or whatever. Like, we immediately switch over to the employer-employee. We don't, we don't need to do that. That's not what's going on here. And uh, that would be the wrong way. Instead, built into this parable, built into, as Jesus is trying to say, it's not just an employee-employer relationship. Instead, there's a deeper relationship that's at hand here that we need to, 
It's maybe just implicit. It's maybe not explicit. But there's certainly a deeper relationship that's there between these two people. So as they're settling accounts, it's not just uh, some kind of financial transaction. Um, so it, comes that, it says that he's going to come and settle accounts. But I do want to pause here because that settle account language certainly should give us a, a, a reason that we should work hard. So the third one is this. Um, the reason why we work hard is because God is going to come to settle accounts. He's given you, we've already established, much in regard to resources, talents, whatever, however you want to define that, intellect. I mean, he's given you much. And this should give us reason to work, like to realize there will be a day where he's going to come and he's going to settle accounts with us. Now, this is not employee-employer. This is a, a love relationship that you should have with your, with your heavenly father. But he's going to come settle accounts. And for me, when I think about God coming to settle accounts, I want to have done something. I want to, I want to work hard. I want to be diligent and work hard because he's going to come settle accounts. Um, James Boyce, as he's looking at these two faithful servants, the five talent, the two talent, he says, these faithful servants served well because they love the master and they wanted to please him. They love their master and they want to please him. So let's look at, um, let's look at this. It says that he's going to come and settle accounts with them. In verse 20, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing uh, five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Um, one, one commentator says that as he's coming up, that he's almost giddy. He's so excited. He's just, guess what? You know, like a kid on, on Christmas morning. Like, ah, like, if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or whenever you were a child, if you can remember back that far, you know, you wanted to sneak and see everything that was there. Um, so literally, this is him saying, Master, you've placed five talents in my hands. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. I've gained additional five talents for you. Woohoo! Let's party. Let's celebrate. Like, there's, a, there's a deep uh, excitement that he has. He's very proud of what he's done and very excited to, proud in a non-sinful sense, very proud of what he's done and very excited to come and quite enthusiastically give the report to the master about what he's done. Um, and the reason why is, and Boyce has kind of already alluded to it for us. He has, and this is kind of erasing that employee-employer relationship that I talked about. There's something deeper built in there. This servant has a deep love for this master. He's enthusiastic because he loves his master. And he loves to please his master. He loves to do things that he knows brings glory and honor to the master. And that he's done what he said. And so... Um, the fourth reason why we work hard, and this is just so obvious, but sometimes we forget. We work hard because we love him. We love him because of what he's done. He gave us his son. He put forward his own son to die for us in our place. And we cannot get over that. We love him deeply because he did that for us. So let's just pause and let's ask this question. I think it's a good application question right here. There will be one a day where we're going to settle accounts. When we will stand in a judgment, not salvific judgment, but for the use and misuse of our talents. And when it's that time, will we come like this giddy little servant? Will we come quite enthusiastic to the father and say, look what I've done with what we've, you've entrusted me. 
when I ask that question, your first thought is like, mm, if you're like me, no. Listen, don't let that question scare you. You can do that. That's not out of the realm of your reach. It doesn't matter to me if you're in college or if you're about to retire. You can enthusiastically go to your father and say, look what I've done. The reason why is because right now you can make that decision. It doesn't have to be like regret. It can say, well, then, yes, I want to do that. And I'm going to do it today. Right now, I will make the decision of when I stand before the father, I will be quite enthusiastic to say, look what I've done with the talents you gave me. All for your glory. But I'm excited to show you this, God. You absolutely can do that. So don't let that question scare you, maybe as much as it it scared me, at least initially. Um, Because you can. So the second thing, or the fourth thing is, we do it, we work hard because we love him. But let's also see this. Um, After he says to him, look what I've done for you. Uh, I've made these five talents. The master, in verse 21, says to him, well done. In other words, excellent, wonderful. Like when my child does something for me, or just does something in general. Um, I've got now five. And so anytime they do something, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be really big. You know, they can just have picked up the cup and put it on the counter. If my little three-year-old does that, Daddy, I picked up the cup and I put it on the counter. Did you see that? I don't say, okay, yeah, whatever. I say, wonderful, love. That's so awesome. Good job. Why do I do that? Why, why am I enthusiastic that a three-year-old has the motor function skills to pick up a cup and put it on the counter? Two reasons. Because she's excited and because I love her. I love to see her excited. And so the second thing here... or conjunction with four and five go together. We work hard because we love him, but also we work hard because he loves us. He, he loves you far more deeply than you could ever imagine. Just like when I look at my child and she does something like, that's so great. That's wonderful. And I mean it. I'm not just faking here because she's so excited. I'm so excited. And because we are so excited when we love him, he loves us first. He loves us. And not only that, we can see this love illustrated for us even further in the verse where he says, well done, that's an excitement, good and faithful servant. Uh, uh, He's going to say something about moral good and his proficiency at his skills. Faithful. You've You've been morally good and you've been proficient with your skills. You've been faithful. Remember that because that's going to be the opposite for Mr. One Talent. Um, here he says, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful for a little. I will set you over much. And watch this. Enter into the joy of your master. I mean, we'll get to this in just a second, but that is quite an invitation. He would only do that because he loves you. He would only give you this amazing invitation because he loves you. So the fifth one is we work hard because he loves us. But let's just... Hang on 21 for a second and consider enter into the joy of your master. Let's, let's just ask it this way. I mean, this invitation is astounding. Unbelievably astounding. Just consider this. What makes God joyful? What makes God joyful? Um, whatever it is, and I think we all know, it is the highest conceivable thing that joy can, can be found in. God would not seek joy in anything else unless it was the highest conceivable joy because he's God. God can only seek what is the highest conceivable good in order to be God. So it's, it's not us, right? It's himself. 
He seeks his highest joy in the relationship that he has with the son. And the spirit is the third person that this joy is so powerful that it, it comes forth off the father and son that expresses for us in some kind of visual personhood the joy that is between the father and the son. So the, the joy of the father is the son and the, the joy of the son is the father. And it's unbelievably huge and we can't even wrap our mind around it. And he looks at this, ta- this, this servant and he says, enter into that joy. So the, what are we on? Sixth. The sixth reason why we work hard is because we have been invited, or we work hard because the joy of God awaits us. You were built for joy. You were built for your affections to be moved towards the greatest thing that their affections can find their highest pleasure and happiness in. That's what you were made for. It's called worship. And it finds its fruition, it finds its highest um, fulfillment when it's put in God. And here, he's saying, your hard work is actually um, being rewarded by saying, enter into the joy of God. What an amazing invitation. You work hard because the invitation of the joy of God has been extended to you. That... That motivates me to work hard, without question. I will, I will work all night. I won't even sleep like those bridesmaids, those lazy bridesmaids, women. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's just ridiculous. My wife doesn't sleep at all because of this newborn. So I, I lay there for a while. If I lay here long enough and don't move, she'll think I'm sleeping. She'll think I'm sleeping. She'll pick up the baby. That's my sinful heart. So anyway, um, back, to, back to the text. That was bad. I shouldn't have said that. Women are awesome. My wife especially. Y'all are. I'm digging a hole. 22. 22. Um, and he said, uh, 22. He said this. And all, he also, who had two talents, came forward. So we've dealt with the five talent. Now we're going to the two talent. This is going to be quite interesting language um, because it's going to be the exact same th- thing. And when we breeze through the two talent guy, we're like, well, this is the exact same thing. There can't be anything here. <laughs> There's some, something pretty amazing here. Verse 22. And he also... And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I've made you two talents more. I mean, same excitement, same everything as the five talent. And then he says, uh, his master said to him, well done or excellent. That's a great job. Good and faithful. Good as a moral characteristic. Faithful as in talking about his ability to to carry out the job done. Um, And then he says, good and faithful servant, You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All the exact same thing. Um, But 22 here is interesting because he says, he also who had two talents came forward saying. And then the exact same thing happens. And I think this teaches us this. We work hard not because, and this is uh, not to be um, misunderstood as like counter number two where it says we work hard because he's entrusted us with much. This is just the same line, but a second way to say it is this. Um, we work hard because faithfulness is, is what matters, not what's been entrusted. The two talent who didn't have as many uh, talents, didn't have as much resources, didn't have as much money, didn't have as much as all those things that we said, he still worked hard. Even though he'd been entrusted with much, it wasn't the same as the five, but he didn't say, well, I've been entrusted with much, so I don't have to work as hard. Like he works harder because he has more. I can work a little bit less harder. Instead, um, it's not about amount entrusted. We work hard because faithfulness is what matters. This man is faithful with just the two. 
He hasn't been given a whole lot comparative to the five. I mean, actually, it is a whole lot because it's $1.6 million comparative today. It's a lot. But still, faithfulness is what matters. So wherever you are, whatever you've been entrusted with, talent-wise from Christ, um, you need to work hard. Faithfulness is what matters. He wants you to be faithful um, with what he's given to you. He's invited you into everything, just like the more privileged servant who has been given five. He still invited you into absolutely the same stuff, everything. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll set you over much. He gives him more responsibility, and he gives him his joy. He gives the same things to both of them. More responsibility, and I'm going to give you my joy. He gives them both the exact same thing. So faithfulness is what matters. Now, we need to go into this last one, and I know I'm pressing against time, so let's try to understand it. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward. We, we need to understand this together. This is a little bit, um, it's a little bit interesting here. Uh, he also came forward, had the one talent, and came forward saying. So right here at the word master in verse 24, he is going to, the one talent servant, is going to blame the master for his poor, poor performance. Poor performance. He's going to blame the master. It's all your fault. It's all your fault. Now, that's not true. And that, that's just a bad idea. Don't blame God for your lack of work. Um, that's easy. Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Now, I don't think that this is true. But he's going to take his logic. He's going to say, you're a hard man. I knew you were going to be a hard man. And so the master's going to end. I don't think he's a hard man. He, he seems to be quite gracious based on before, but he's going to take his logic and he's going to say, well, then if you knew me to be a hard man, <laughs> you should have done something. If I am hard, if I'm just so hard and, and scary, then sticking your money in the mattress or digging a hole, that was a bad idea then, right? If I'm so hard. But we don't, I don't think he's a hard man. I think he's a gracious man. I just think he is, he has an expectation per, per, of performance. And if we don't do it, that's just laziness. And he will certainly judge laziness. Um, all right, so here we go. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Here it is. So I was afraid. So I was afraid. He thought that if he messed up, he wouldn't get much profit. He was going to incur wrath from the master. So he dug a hole. And here's what happened. He did nothing. He did nothing. Don't let your life be characterized by having done nothing because you're scared of the wrath of God on the judgment that we will all have for the use or misuse of our talents. Don't stick your talents in a mattress and do nothing. Here's the thing. What's, what's obvious from this um, is that he could have done something at a really low risk and, and gotten something. It says in 27, then you ought to invest my money with the bankers. I mean, you could at least just go into the bankers and done something. You didn't have to go out and do some kind of high-risk thing. You could have at least just gone to the bankers and, I mean, do a CD. Do something. You could have done something. You didn't have to dig a hole. Digging a hole and putting it in there because of inflation means you lost me money. And so um, he tells him that he was scared and he didn't want to do anything. And what he missed was this. What the one talent servant missed was this. He missed, he didn't understand there was a responsibility to, to perform the required duties. He gave him a job before he left and he didn't do them. And the reason why the one talent guy didn't do them is because, here's the reason, lack of love 
for the master. It wasn't wrath. It wasn't, you're hard and I'm scared. It's because he didn't love him. He did not love him. So we can see the spiritual implications and applications then. Do we love God? Do we love God? Let me read John chapter 15 to you. Just, just listen to these verses. John 15, so I'll start at 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And here it is. You are my friends, therefore I love you, and you should love me. If you do what I command... We show that we love God by doing what he commands. He's given us something that he wants us to do. You're all breathing right now. Therefore, God expects for you to do something, especially if you're in Christ. And so we don't act like this guy and don't do anything. Now, here's the thing. The reason why uh, there's a lack of love is because he misunderstands the relationship. This is so key. This might be my favorite point of all of them. He misunderstands the relationship. Look at there in the first four words of 25. Um, So I was afraid. We are to have a holy, reverent fear of God. There's no question about that. Spurgeon looks at this and he says, We do have a holy, reverent fear for God, but servile fear or servant fear is the parent of doubt, which in its turn has a family of unbelieving rebels. So there's a holy fear and a servile fear. There's a holy fear, which we should have, and there's the servant fear, which means we've misunderstood the relationship. And if we have that, it has a family of unbelieving rebels. So let me explain. Just, I'll break it down for us all. First John breaks it all down for us. First John 4, 18. Listen to this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has nothing to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if we're truly in him, we don't fear. Listen to this when he says, for fear has nothing to do with punishment. The reason why believers know that to be true is because Jesus has taken the punishment for us. We don't fear the Father and his punishment because all of it has been put on the Son for us. And so here's the thing. I think what we're trying to see here is this. Um, The eighth reason why we work hard. We work hard because Jesus took our punishment. There is no fear for us anymore. He didn't understand the gospel. The wicked servant didn't understand the gospel. He didn't understand that we work for God now because we will never be punished. Isaiah 53, 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his stripes we're healed. No punishment for us ever now. So we work hard because there is no punishment. There is no wrath impending upon us. We're free to be hard workers now for Jesus. Verse 25, I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. And here, you can, you can have back what you gave me. Here it is, no more, no less, I've given it to you. 
And then verse 26 says, But his master said to him, You wicked and slothful or lazy servant. He said good and faithful, something moral, and then something about the way he works. Here he says, You're wicked morally, and the way you work, you're slothful and lazy. You're both um, slothful and lazy. And then he says, um, You knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gather where I, I, I scatter no seed. Then... You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. If what you say is true, then you should have done something. You shouldn't have just stuck it in the ground. Um, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at the coming, I should have received the interest that you owed me. I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. So now that guy started with zero and has eleven. Another guy started with zero and has four. And this guy started with zero. And now he's back at zero. I don't want to be the guy that's back at zero. I'll take four, I'll take 11, I'll take one. Don't want to be the zero guy. That doesn't sound appealing whatsoever. Um, But what we can see in here is this. What we can see, there's two issues here. There's the unjust accusation from the servant that the master is wicked. And the other one is that he's lazy. The reason why he puts forward this unjust accusation is because he does not love him and he does not know him. So the ninth one, The reason why we work hard is because we know God. We have been invited into this amazing relationship, not just to know about God, but to know him. We just don't know figures and facts and stats and we can locate people's names really fast or we know the year that King Uzziah died, blah, blah, blah. Instead, we just don't know that thing, but we know God. We have been invited into an intimate relationship with him that we can be with him every day. We can seek him and see his face in the scriptures. And we can be in awe because of what he's done for, for us on the cross. And we are invited daily to walk with Christ, to walk with God and know him deeply and intimately. We work hard because we know him. What a glorious gift that is. So this wrong view of God has made him understand everything. In view of everything that God has given us, even our next breath, he's given us a lot. Sin means we should die right now. And he doesn't do that. He's given us so much more than we could ever think of. And this guy's laziness um, causes him not to use his talents. Is perhaps your laziness causing you not to use your talents in doing the two things he's asked us to do? Make disciples and love our neighbors. Don't be lazy and don't not make disciples and don't not, double negative, um, be lazy. Instead, make disciples and use your resources to love your neighbors. Your neighbors are both Christians and non-Christians. He wants you to love the family of God that you're in deeply, putting yourselves with them and being around them as often as you can to love them and also the people around you that don't know Christ. This man... um, is not condemned, don't miss this, this servant is not condemned for what he did, he's condemned for what he did not do. He did nothing. Stuck his money in the ground and did nothing. Don't don't stick your talents in a hole and do nothing. And at the end, when you're standing there, have nothing to say. Instead, let's all say, I want to be joyful and say yes. To have done nothing, Boy says in life, is proof that we do not love Jesus. 
and that we don't belong to him. So moving on, this is the last one. He says, you ought to give it to the bankers for everyone who has will be given more and who has abundance from him. But from him, the one who has not even what will be taken away. Verse 30, cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. Let's just say this positively. This guy is worthless because he's been cowed into um, utter darkness. Then what's true of us then, we work hard because in the gospel, we, are, we have worth. God has given us amazing value. You have, because of the gospel, amazing value. You personally, not just your possessions, not just your resources, not just your musical ability or your ability to be uh, kind or make meals or be whatever. You, you personally, because of the gospel, have amazing value. He has made you valuable in Christ. That's beautiful. You may not feel that way, but that's what's true. It's because of that. You work hard. You work hard. You might not think that's true, but it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. So, what we've learned here, and it's, 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 it's a grievous sin not to use what God's entrust to us, entrusted to us. James Boyce says this, many people use their theology of justification that they already have a right standing with God to excuse their failure of care for others. Since I'm right with God, I'm right with God. They use their theology of justification to excuse their failure of care for others. That hits me deep. Let's, let's not let Remedy Church, as gracious as he's been, I think, to give us a good, deep understanding of the gospel. Let's not let that be true of us. Our, watch, our watching, as he's telling us, to be, to be watchful. This is the whole point of these parables, to be watchful. Our watching must not be passive then. Instead, it must be very active, seeking to grow, seeking to grow and develop all the resources he's given us so that we can multiply those as much as we can. We can multiply them as absolutely as much as we can. Is it possible that right now, where you are, that whenever you stand before God with the resources he's given you, that you could be like Mr. Five or Mr. Two and you could have literally doubled those things? Think about what he's given you and ask, have I doubled it yet? You, you can. I think that's what it's teaching us. Don't settle for anything less. You have the ability to double the talents he's given you because he's given you the talents and ability to do it. If there's anything he's teaching us, that's what we should strive for. I want to double everything he's given me. It may not be much. I mean, there's not a lot here, but I, I want to double it. And so as we're going to this response time, I just have one simple thing. It's very simple. This is what I want us to say yes to in response today. Um, I'm not trying to ask for a big list of promises that you're going to keep to God. That's not what we're going after. Um, You can do that if you want, but that's not what I want. Um, It's just one simple challenge for us today. I want you to say, yes, God, I want it. I, I want that. I want you and I want to strive for it. I'm not asking you to make this big list of promises, but I do want you to realize 
maintaining the status quo is not acceptable to God. It's not acceptable. So therefore, you're not committing to say, I'm going to save 10,000 souls today. It's much, it's much simpler to that. It's much simpler. Instead, I want you to just say this. Yes, I want you, God. Yes. I'm not satisfied with what's been going on in my life. I've made up my mind. I'm not going to waste my life anymore. I want you. And if I don't, I don't even know how, what that looks like. I don't even know what my next step is. But before I can start the next step, I do have to make this decision. I want to make the next step. I, I want you. I know, God, you're going to help me realize what that means. But before I even start, I'm going to make up my mind this morning. This is the simplest of all decisions. Yes, I want you. I want at the end that I have worked hard. Show me what that looks like. So it's a real simple, simple conclusion and a real simple challenge for us all. Stand up, sing with me, and sing with us all, and declare to the Lord, I don't even know what it means maybe, but yes, I want you. Today's the marked difference where I will, I will say yes to whatever you want, I want you. So let's stand and proclaim that thing out to Jesus. I'm going to pray. And if that's, if that's where you are for the challenge today, you don't even know what the next step might be, but you know that you do want to do it. Let's stand and let's just sing out to him saying yes. So let's stand. I'll pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that as we turn to worship you, we will, we will say yes, absolutely. I don't even know what it means maybe, but yes, I want to do it. I want you. I want to know you, God. I want to go come after you, God. I want to know Christ deeply. I want to work with all of my heart and life for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.